I'm your host, Mary Copeland. This infotainment podcast explores how to live your best life now and well into retirement. We'll discuss topics in financial planning, housing, and insurance. We'll talk wellness, relationships, and leisure activities. A full active life requires planning for your goals and preparing for the unexpected. I'll introduce you to a variety of guests from knowledgeable experts to folks sharing stories of their life experiences and so much more because life is big. All is intended to help guide you in planning for what you need now and at any age. Like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Today, my guest is Jessica Stokes. Jessica is an entrepreneur by nature and is the owner of a small business in the Denver area. She's a trained Veridatus labyrinth facilitator, caregiver, mom, wife, and now a published author. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mary. I'm so happy to be spending some time with you and sharing about my book. Oh, good. Well, um, I guess that was a spoiler because guess what? Today, Jessica and I are going to discuss her new book, Seeking Clarity in the Labyrinth, A Daughter's Journey Through Alzheimer. So we might as well jump right in. And my first question to you is, what inspired you to write the book? Absolutely. Thanks. So I, we, my family had a 13 year journey with my mom and Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed in her um, early sixties and uh, it was shocking for all of us. And the journey was a long one. And in the process and in the experiences at a certain point, it became clear that I really needed to share our story and um, with and it um, help be, to be able to help others. Thank you for doing that. It seems like um, I don't know if this is going to date me, but it seems like six degrees from Kevin Bacon. You're standing there with a group of people, and several people can all tell you that they have an experience with Alzheimer with somebody closely related to them. So I think your book is definitely something that was needed and is needed for so many. Thank you. Um, let's do this. How did you recognize, let's talk about um, your mom's um, cognitive issues. How did you recognize that your mom was having some issues? Yeah, it was such an interesting thing. It was early on. And so many times um, it seems as if people are late to to. There, it's sometimes it's later than people recognize when they are actually seeing those signs. For us, my mom just—I—I I was a mom. My mom was my best friend at the time, and we were talking all the time on the phone. And there was a few things that started happening where she would drop or she would change her way as she was talking, and it was not just oh, I'm distracted because something happened and we all get a little distracted, but yeah. it was significant. So she would, she would be in the mid sentence and ask me the same question of something we had just talked about just a few minutes prior. And it was so inconsistent with her and our way of communicating. And shortly thereafter, I dropped it and asked my dad. And he also said he was, it was almost one of those like light bulb moments with my mm -hmm. dad in which he was like, you, you noticed that too. And, and it was a very clear indication that both of us had very, you know, not the same, but had seen very similar signs. 
you know, um, it was probably even more difficult to notice those signs in the beginning because she said your mom's in your early in her early 60s so you're not expecting to see signs like that so you know this is good good information for our listeners because alzheimer's doesn't care how old you are they don't they, it's not an age so it, it it people younger have been afflicted with it also it's not just you know a disease for your 80s um, yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those interesting things that we all now, because you're right, Kevin Bacon, six degrees of separation. Absolutely. And we start to wonder, are we showing signs? We left the pot, the kettle on and not all those signs are really dementia or Alzheimer's. So it is important to start having those conversations with your doctor and the, um, it, and your fellow, the, the people around you to see what they're seeing. Um, because you're right. It was super early and it was, and it was uh, some difficult conversations certainly because not all, everyone wanted to see it the same way. And also, um, you know, now that you've been on this journey with your mom and my mom also, um, suffered from Alzheimer's, you know, as the, um, children of that parent, you know, Go get tested. Make sure you're um, giving yourself brain teasers in games all the time, keeping your mind active. Um, just because a parent had Alzheimer's doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get it. So don't start living your life in a panic, you know, but be proactive about it at least. Um, be aware. That's that's my little tip for the day. Um, <laughs> I agree completely with that. Thank you. So in speaking with you, the timeline of your mom's journey brings us into the heart of the pandemic when you and I were talking and you had a junior and senior in high school. Your mom is now a decade or more into Alzheimer's and your dad is her main caregiver, but now his health is declining. So it sounds like you were completely overwhelmed by all the people in your life that needed you because you're the mom, the daughter, the wife um was writing this book for you cathartic you know tell us about that sure so it was an interesting thing i um i found some letters that my mom had written to her mother and it took us back to i was cleaning out my parents garage and it took us back to when she left home and she was just a 18 19 year old around the same time my kids were and I was struck by how much I found her voice in that. And it, it precipitated this need for me to explore and to connect and to find her. And in doing so, I started writing about and exploring through, I'd always been a writer, um, a journaler, and I started writing stories about mom. And in doing so, I reclaimed um, a sense and memories of her. And as we were really losing her, I was able to see her in new, in a new light. And it absolutely was cathartic. My goodness. It was, it was as if I was writing my way through my grief. It was, um, and, and then I started writing about actually the journey we were on, not just memory and stories, but the actually what was happening. And it became, um, this really wonderful way to work through the process. It was pretty amazing, actually. And good 
because you know there was pandemic there was a lot of things going on but um it was a wonderful way to to utilize my time actually um can you tell us what a labyrinth is and i'm asking this because it's in the title of your book and it's also in your bio so i definitely have the sense that a labyrinth is an important piece um, to this journey Absolutely. So one of the things, so a labyrinth is a, it is not a maze. So there's, if you imagine a, a, um, a pathway, a walking pathway in which it's, and they're used, oftentimes labyrinths are found connected to churches, sometimes um, botanical gardens, sometimes just open spaces. They're often connected to city spaces, that sort of thing. So it's a walking path. And there is one entry in and one entry out. Uh, so there is the idea is, or the intention is, you're not going to get stuck like you would in a maze. Um, the there, however, it can feel very maze-like because it the path twists and turns about about itself. So you may be going in one direction and do a quick turnaround, a 180 degree turn, and you're going in a different direction. And so personally, that's a labyrinth. Mm -hmm. uh, my personal relationship to it is both my my um, my mom and also my aunt, who also uh, had Alzheimer's and uh, also passed in the time we were navigating my mom's 13-year journey. Uh, both were very interested in labyrinths, and they actually had built a labyrinth in my parents' backyard in Salida, Colorado. And so they, they both were interested, and I had been walking the labyrinth with them, and as I navigated mom's journey, we really start, I started really connecting with it as I was with my parents often, and I would often walk their labyrinth and really started to dive into the experience as a space that was both meditative and also very um, healing. It was like getting a hug every time I walked the labyrinth. Can you tell us what a train vera Dactuses and and also pronounce it properly for me. Sure, it's actually Veriditas, and it is an organization that uh, really helps to promote and helps to connect labyrinths um, throughout the world. So there are multiple, um, and, and it's the labyrinths have been around forever. Um, there's, it goes back way, way to like we, there's cave dwell cave cave paintings that have labyrinths in them. Um, there's been a resurgence in the past 30 years uh, in the 90s. Um, there sort of became this newer um, recognition and need for um, both people seeking their own journeys. And um, as we saw, lots of different things come into, you know, there's looking for for ways to connect to in a spiritual way or a way to just connect in a meditation, all those sorts of things. So there was a big revival. Um, and it's actually the kind of the um, center point is in San Francisco at the Grace Cathedral with, uh, and that's sort of the, the focal point. And, but again, it's worldwide. And so in my ex explorations, I said, I realized that I really needed to, know more and connect more with labyrinths so that was my um desire to train and and un actually my aunt was also i don't know if she was trained but she took a class way way back in the 90s so that's how she learned about labyrinths and again started making them so so it was kind of a gift to yourself 
Absolutely. It was a gift to myself. Um, you and I have had a story, have chatted prior to our podcast today. So I would love it if you can um, tell us about how you really used the labyrinth with your mom at their house. Because that sure. was a beautiful story. So mom, you know, the... It, I always walked the labyrinth with my mom before Alzheimer's. Um, and they, I think my mom and my aunt built it in the early, like 20, 2002. Um, my mm -hmm. kids, I found some pictures of my kids when they were super little in it. And um, so we always walked it. And sometimes it was fun. Sometimes I was like, oh, let's go walk the labyrinth, mom. Okay. Um, as mom had her, had started to navigate with Alzheimer's, I really made a point always when I was visiting to walk it with her uh, or my dad. And there's, it became this cool metaphor of I, one time I was walking and they were in front of me and then the path changed and then I was behind them and then it changed again and I was in front. And there was this interesting thing of who's following who in these journeys of life. So uh, whereas as a child, I'm following, but then suddenly I'm the leader. And somehow there was this interesting metaphor for our journey with Alzheimer's, which at a certain point really shifted. And I started to become more and more of a support for my dad and really helped start to make decisions for my dad. As mom continued in her, her um, she wasn't able to walk the path as well, because you have to focus. Mm -hmm. And she would, in our path, the one that we actually have in um, Salida, there's rocks, so you, and it's kind of very natural, so you kind of get tripped up a little bit in it. And so it became harder and harder. So towards the end, um, I would just take her and we would walk to the center and we would sit in the center and we would just still experience it and still feel it and still connect with it. So there really is no wrong or right or wrong way to connect with the labyrinth. It still felt like we were honoring and, and connecting that had nothing to do with the illness, nothing to do with her losing her memory, but we just could sit and still experience um, nature and the beautiful space and the be beautiful views and just the sense and the feeling of being in the center. And um, when you say you would visit with your mom, how far apart were you? Because you both lived in Colorado. Was it a couple of hours away? Two, three hours? Yeah. So my parents' house is about three hours from where I am. I'm in the Denver metro area. So it was definitely a bit of a pressure <laughs> on my life <laughs> um, to be as frequently visiting as I was during that time. And initially, it was certainly the helping with the stuff in the house and organizing their lives, um, helping my dad figure out how to be the caregiver in a different kind of way. And then it was really just making sure I was connecting and seeing them too. As our listeners are walking their own journey with a loved one that has Alzheimer's, uh, what piece of advice would you want to share with them? Great question. So I, this is that like, if I could talk back to myself 15 years ago um, message, which is be present, be accepting, try to find a way to see them for who they are, because they're still the same person or they're, it feels like they're not the same person, but they're still that person. So we have a tendency I, or I 
inclusively. Sometimes with Alzheimer's, we have a tendency to dismiss it or let it go or say, oh, it's the disease or I already lost them. You lost them or we've lost a per version of them, but they're still there. So it's so important to still honor and value their integrity and their who they are. I have a, uh, I reference uh, in my book, uh, um, an analogy of when a snake sheds its skin. So when a snake sheds its skin, it literally comes out and you're left with this, you know, crumply um, version of itself. So with Alzheimer's, we, th there's a consistently new version of our person. And fortunately it's not fresh and new, like with a snake, a snake, it's kind of all excited when it loses its skin. It's not always as great. However, it's still them. We just have to find a new way to, to, to see them and to honor them. They didn't choose the disease. Nobody would choose Alzheimer's if they had a choice. No, but they are still there. I remember um, we were at, I want to say it was a rehabilitation center with my mom and dad in North Carolina because my mom had a fall, I believe. And it was around the holidays and um, they had residents in this room, large room, a hall, and there was a, a class there um, from one of the local schools singing Christmas carols. And my mother was sitting there in her seat singing along, you know, the music is a connector for a lot of Alzheimer's um, patients. And that music, you know, at that moment, my mom was there in that room, the way I remembered her. So um, just keep looking and creating your memories. Music is, you're so correct about music, Mary. I mean, it is it's so interesting to me. My, I had a very similar experience with my mom. Very, very close to the end and she loved Christmas music and she same thing she was able to hear and sing and listen and it triggers those like really old music is like one of the first things we connect with or sound is one of the first things we connect with so it's also one of the last things so you know music becomes such an important uh, bridge and can it's just a super powerful way to connect with our loved ones yeah and play their music. Don't play your own. You want the music that they're familiar <laughs> with. So that's a little tip there too. Two tips for Mary today. Um, you had told me that your mom moved into a memory care community. What prompted going from being cared for at home by your dad to moving into a memory care community? So that was a really hard decision for our family. We, uh, mom had expressed early on had expressed an interest that she had some fear about being in a, in a community. Mm -hmm. Um, and dad didn't want her to not be with him. He really intended to take care of her to the very, very end. However, my dad's health became the concern. So, and this is such a common thing that um, happens with caregivers, that caregivers are so focused on their person that they sometimes start to ignore their own health. In a very short time, my dad had to have a, he had had multiple joint replacements, but needed a new hip and he was having trouble walking. So that became this sort of very clear, he could not take care of mom, recover from his own hip, replacement that ended up having some complications that before we knew it, um, that's what happened. Um, and it, and the, also the, what 
the stage that we had started to go into became a stage that really needed more um, the intention that can happen at a community that we weren't really able to do. Um, the interesting thing that happened was she really actually loved it. It was, she was able to settle into it. She was able to have the structure and she was able to have really the, found this beautiful peacefulness that happened at the last, really the last two years of her life that when she was with dad, she was pretty agitated, not because she didn't want to be with dad, but she wanted to still help. She wanted to still be responsive the way that she had always been in their lives. And um, it, it became a gift that we didn't know at the time. Um, in a six month period after my dad's hip replacement, he also had a quadruple bypass heart um, uh, surgery. So he really, his heart was really broken um, in that period of time. And so we really needed to shift what was happening for both of them, for both of their health. And it ended up being a gift. Um, we need to wrap up. And even though I don't want to, cause I could talk to you for hours, but can you just tell us real quickly how, um, sh share with our listeners how you chose the memory care community that your mom moved into? So that also was an interesting challenge where my parents lived in Salida. There was not a lot of options. So there was a more traditional um, kind of facility feeling that didn't quite have as the kind of care we wanted. We were very much interested in something in a, in a community that focused on memory care. Um, and, and she was still pretty young and we really wanted to have a place that would really honor and see her for what was happening and the loss of her memory. Uh, the great news is there's so many options now. Um, there's really tremendous, beautiful communities out there that are very focused on really the sort of the attention to the patient. So pa a patient attention care or um, that is just so lovely. So uh, it was actually two hours from dad. So it was a little bit of a drive, but it was, and we had worked, uh, we had, dad at the time was very connected to, he still is the Alzheimer's association as am I. And we had some really wonderful support from the local community that there was a, um, that had helped us, gave us some recommendations of some lovely facilities. So we were able to find one that fit her perfectly and it was smaller and she was able to have a lot of attention. So it sounds like you prepared a list of what the needs were. You did a lot of touring and you were able to find what matched up best for your list. And it takes some legwork. So um, I'm glad you found a perfect place. And also, thanks for sharing. And, and Pardon me? I was just going to say another tip about that is that it's much easier to do it when you're not in the throes of it being mm -hmm. a emergency. So when you wait to, we had done some preparation. So we knew, I knew it was coming. My dad didn't want to believe it, but I knew it was coming. So we had done a lot of preparation. I'd made him go visit some places and whatnot for that exact reason. Because when it's an emergency, you land in a place that is maybe not the right fit. But if you plan and have options, even if they're not great, or even if you think that it's never going to happen, then when it, the time comes, you're able to make the move appropriately. That is so spot on. The crisis mode makes it so difficult. 
emotionally and financially, physically at times. So thanks for sharing that tip with us that you did start this research in advance. And also I heard you mention that um, the Alzheimer's Association is has played a big part in your um, family's journey through this. And I know I told you I did the walk with my dad for my mom a few years ago and um, you haven't walked it, but I believe your dad has, is that correct? Or he's- Yeah, so my dad and mom actually, um, we actually are pretty good supporters of the local chapter of Alzheimer's Association. For years we attended, they had a um, a conference on Alzheimer's once a year that we t attended. We did attend with mom. There was a early Alzheimer's track and mom, even when she was a little bit more in, in the disease, but still um, cogniz cognizant, actually really enjoyed it. She maybe not as much as my dad and I, but she did, um, was able to participate. They did participate in a couple walks and um, we've both, I actually presented at a dementia conference last week for the Alzheimer's Association. So we both continue to be really active locally and believe strongly. It's such a they're doing really amazing stuff. Um, you know, they continue to be one of the leaders. Alzheimer's Association is continues to put a lot um, into research and there's really honing down on different, you know, there's unfortunately, there's still no cure. Um, but there's the sophistication that we I've seen over the past 13 years in our journey has certainly um, shifted and the sophistication and the just the abilities and the way in which um just the really wonderful advocates for for everyone the caregivers and the patient um and the greater community as well they are indeed um we're out of time so i do need to say thank you jessica so much for sharing your journey with us um i believe it definitely was a tremendous help to our listeners and um Anybody, you can pick up Jessica's book at barnesandnoble.com, Amazon, and a handful of local bookstores in the Colorado area. Until next week, take care and thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, Jessica. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you.